Welcome to Cannonball, the podcast out of Phoenix Studios from the College of Arts, Humanities, and Social Sciences at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. I'm Ryan Martin, one of the hosts of Cannonball, and I'm here, as always, with my co-host and friend, Dean of the College of Arts, Humanities, and Social Sciences, Chuck Ryback. How's it going, Chuck? It is going amazing. As you were speaking, the sun broke through the clouds, and I'm looking out of my back window at some the beginning of fall colors, so I feel really good. How about you? Uh, outstanding. Now I'm jealous, though, because I am in a basement uh, with oh. no windows. This is my new home office. My wife and I swapped offices, and uh, she is upstairs in a much, much nicer place than me. So That feels like a home TV show, like Office Swap. <laughs> yes. Yes, I think you're right. We no, should start that, where you just decorate somebody else's office for a week. So she works permanently from home now, so we decided she should have the nice office, um, which is totally fair and good and I'm glad she's happy up there but I am now in a in a basement and so it's a little bit of a, a little bit of a drag sometimes it inspires me to go to the office more often though. I'm sorry to hear that but I want to tell you it's really beautiful out there I'm sorry you can't see any of it I'll, I'll, I'll head up as soon as this is done um, speaking of offices our guest today is actually currently sitting in my work office because it's far quieter than her office um, you uh, you heard her last episode. She's an associate professor here at UW-Green Bay with a PhD in political science from Western Michigan, teaches courses in environmental policy and planning, political science. Um, she has uh, is also one of our two campus pre-law advisors. She teaches about environmental law, environmental policy, geopolitics, and more. Welcome back, Dr. Liz Wheat. How are you? Very good. Thank you very much. So we've got lovely fall colors, but also the just beautiful construction sounds that are uh, decorating <laughs> UWGB at this point in the semester. I thought, oh, I'll be quieter over here, quieter than at home with my two little monsters and evil Siamese cat. And there's some sort of buzzsaw thing happening outside the uh, window. Outstanding. So, yeah. I also, it's, it's worth noting too that I have really not decorated my office much. And so you're sitting next to a empty bookshelf. That, uh, that really has very little going. I think there's a rubber duck on there and that's about it. So um, is there not? Yeah. No. There's a rubber duck in, and there's a picture. <laughs> she's also sitting in front of a whiteboard without your artistic talents, Ryan Martin. You know, I just, actually, I just erased that whiteboard for the first time since pre-pandemic. It was, it was kind of hard to do. It felt like a, uh, a little bit of a, uh, what do you call those things? A, I can't think of the word right now. So uh, I, I don't know where you're going with that. I'm really like a, sorry. Like a uh, time capsule. There we go. It was like a time oh, capsule yeah, from yeah. beforehand. Every time I would see it, I would think, oh, this is what life was like and what I was working yeah. on pre-pandemic. Now uh, everything's changed. So I didn't want to. We, we should just reconstruct your office as like an exhibit <laughs> and nice. send it somewhere. Wait. It had my, it was interesting actually, because my son did some math on there at one point. And so it was actually kind of, you can actually see a little bit of it there. And it, and so it, it was what he was working on at the time of the pandemic. So a year and a half. As we later. know, math is yeah. irrelevant now post pandemic. So of course, well, and yeah. also, you know, virtual schooling, he didn't let, no, I'm just kidding. He learned a ton in virtual schooling. I shouldn't even pretend yeah. that that's not true. His teachers are amazing and he did amazing despite what. what I'm sorry doing. to get you off track. I think we should, <laughs> that is totally my fault. Let's, let's get back to our guest. My, my rants aside. Um, so Liz, you know, as, as our listeners know, and as you know, last uh, episode, we talked about what you are up to today. We are going to talk about the, the work 
or works that inspire you. Um, you, you, in a message to me, you said a lot of the things are super nerd political science books, um, none of which would work well for this context. So, so what are we going to be talking about? Well, so I read a lot of friends give me a hard time because I'm terrible about reading fiction. And so I also read a lot of true crime kinds of things, which uh, I also did not feel were particularly appropriate, uh, given the events in the community in the last few weeks. Um, and so one thing that is a very different part of my life than sort of the academic political science part is uh, my pets. And so I currently have two, uh, two dogs and a cat. Um, but the, the count is down quite a bit because I've lost three pets in the last 10 months. And ever the, the academic, um, the way I deal with grief and kind of working through this is with different research and reading different kinds of things. And so a book that I came across that I wanted to share is called Heart Dog, Surviving the Loss of Your Canine Soulmate by Roxanne Hahn. And a bit of a context on this one. So my dog, McIntyre um, was a Pomeranian, passed away in October of last year, and he had uh, lymphangiectasia, which I called Fantasia for a long time because that's what it sounded like to me. Um, it's basically a really rare GI issue, and so pretty intense caregiving and monitoring, and my, uh, my other dogs at the same time had a lot of ACL issues and then ended up with degenerative myelopathy, so it was sort of this perfect storm of a lot of um, caregiving kinds of things. I basically live at the vet. And so Mac passed away and we're actually coming up on the one year anniversary. He passed away October 9th last year, uh, unfortunately on my mom's birthday. So um, I feel that I've ruined that uh, kind of for her, but it was a really sudden week, a lot of ER hospitals. And I was actually preparing the common cause talk while sitting in the ER parking lot last year, uh, working on my phone and, and that sort of thing. And um, so when Mac passed away, I really had a hard time with it. And I think with pet bereavement, we don't have the rituals. We don't have sort of the social legitimacy and acceptance. And after a couple of weeks, uh, you're sort of expected to be back. And this book was really helpful because the whole idea of a heart dog is a special, really close bond that you have with, uh, with a dog. And uh, both Mac and my dog, Jovi, who'd passed away this summer at 16 years old, uh, they were my heart dogs and we had been through so much together, both because of their medical issues, but also, you know, they had been there with me uh, through my PhD, um, Jovi was there the whole thing going through tenure. And so you have all these shared experiences and I don't have any, any human children. And so my pets really become a big part of my family. And I think with this book, she talks, shares her own experience about losing her dog and sort of the deeper grief that she'd experienced because you tend to, you know, compare it. And uh, one of our, our Green Bay colleagues, uh, Christine Smith, and I talked about, you know, it's not a grief Olympics. So it's not like one pet is going to be, you know, more or less upsetting or your grief is more or less significant. But this book just really spoke to me of I'm not alone. I what I was feeling um, is what a lot of people were, were feeling. And so I think it it helped with sort of that initial shock of losing Mac. And then actually read it again this summer after I lost Jovi and then my cat a few weeks later. Um, because it's been sort of this four years of perpetual grief between our pets and, um, and losing family members as well. But what I think the inspirational part with this book, to not be too much of a, of a downer with all of it, is what to do next. And for me, it was really thinking of how to keep, because Mac was a really special little guy. He always looked happy. Everybody loved him. 
I might've snuck into campus a few times, but everyone's looking at their phone. So no one looks up at me carrying this tiny little Pomeranian walking into campus. Don't worry, Liz. I have the security footage (laughs) sent to me by our previous police chief. Yeah, I figured there's some, there's some sort of, you know, it's always some student pictures too. I was like, don't tag me in these. Um, But I'm trying to think of how to keep his memory alive. And, you know, there's a couple of things I want to do. I really want to create an angel fund to help people who are struggling with sort of the financial needs for their pets, because I had care credit, which I still use care credit has a lot of friends on it. Um, and so one of max surgeries was just under $4,000 and I had pet insurance. And so I, I could use that. And, um, so I think having that kind of angel fund and a lot of friends are in publishing. So I'd love to do a children's book series at some point and call it mighty max adventures and talk about just some of the fun things. And, um, that he did. And so I think that's been, the book is a really good blend of deal of the grief part, but also how to move forward. And the timing of reading this again, actually I was reading, um, Ryan did not ask me to do this, but in terms of reading the anger book at the same time, grief can often manifest as anger. And so I think looking at, at the timing of that book and how I was dealing with these losses also in a pandemic when, you know, you feel a little guilty talking about it sometimes as people are losing, losing human family members. And um, so I think with all of this, how do you find, how do you move forward? How do you just deal with this? The isolation of um, being in a pandemic and, you know, it was such a blessing to be able to work from home so much over the last year and a half, because I could go to all of the ERs. I could go to all the medical appointments and monitor the care um, but I think it sort of magnified that, that goodbye a little bit. And so like I said, I, I love this book. I really, I've met a lot of incredible people that have helped, I think both process what Roxanne talks about, but also just reaching out to other friends. A lot of my friends, we all get dogs at the same time. And so there've been a lot of pet sympathy cards this year. And, right. and so I think, you know, looking ahead, it's how can I help other people who were in that situation is not, you know, most people don't have canine cardiologists. They don't have multiple canine ophthalmologists in two States. You know, like these are not no, people like go to the vet once a year for shots. And that's just never been, um, never been my life. And so I think it's uh, it's been tough because you, know, you certainly don't want it to affect work, but um, I've had to run out of classes when the vet ERs are calling with medical updates uh, from the surgeon. And so it's really opened a lot of, I think a lot of doors with students too, because I'm very open. I said, Hey, you know, my dog is at the ER. I actually just got through another crisis down in Waukesha this last month um, with one of my other dogs. And I said, Hey, yeah, I just got a call from our internal medicine, our surgeon. So I've, I've got to take this. And they're just like, what? Um, because they've never, probably never had a faculty talk right. about their pets to this extent. And I think that's open. That, that sort of vulnerability is really open them to share a little bit too. And like, you know, we're all human doing right. the best we can and caring about our pets. It is so interesting how quickly the world expects people to heal from this sort of grief. And as you said, kind of early on there, this idea that you just, it's, you know, people, you, you get over it in a few weeks. And, and of course there are, I mean, you know, I have certainly known people whose, whose animals meant something different or whose pets meant something different to them than mine do, who were able to kind of recover that quickly. That's never been my experience, right? Um, but I, I also know I had this really, when my, my um, niece was young, probably five-ish, um, she went through a, an episode where she had lost uh, 
great grandmother or great grandfather in, in just a couple months span and my mom's dog died uh kind of all in a short time period and there are two things that really jumped out at me one is how um i think at one point she was taught my sister was talking to one of her teachers about it and said yeah she's she's really struggling she's had you know she's lost a lot of some people and then also my you know a, a pet and the teacher actually took a moment to say, you know what, that, don't minimize that last one. That, that's a big deal. Um, the other thing though, that I still will always remember is seeing her at, um, she, used to, she used to walk around with an imaginary dog, with my mom's dog on a leash, when, and whenever it was times of stress like this was. And so at my, my grandmother's funeral, her great grandmother, I look over and she's standing there across the way and she's got her hand out holding a little leash um, you know, and so it's, it's really says something about the, about how important our, our pets are, are to us, uh, or how important they can be to us and how, um, this, this tendency to, to sort of delegitimize that loss is really unfortunate. Well, there's so many different kinds of relationships, you know, that I think on, on a normal week, um, and again, with the three, the three that I've lost, I'm not at the vet quite as often, but, um, I was there on a normal week, three to five times a week, uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday for laser treatments, acupuncture every other week, um, for Jovi, um, regular testing for my cat who was in kidney failure and thyroid condition. And then, you know, it was, we're there all the time. And so the vet really, the, and the staff become an extended family, you know, and we became really close. And so when the pandemic hit, you know, I live by myself and, uh, the, the vet was sort of the only time that there was kind of a human interaction and contact. And, you know, one of the techs um, at, at Gentle Vet here in Green Bay, she and I had, had become you know, pretty close and she was kind of the main one that we worked with. And um, they, you know, our vet staff sent cards because especially with my dog, Jovi, um, it really affected both our Green Bay clinic and then the clinic in Michigan because I'd been living there the last year and they had a really hard time. And I think, you know, I, I took a card, uh, a thank you card to the vet because I don't think people really understand or realize how difficult it is to be in vet care right now with um, just the huge influx of, of clients and everything. And so I, I, you know, having those kind of human moments of just saying, thank you for, you know, being part of our support system and being part of our, our family because of the care that they provided, they were really affected by that. And, you know, I think with vets um, people who may not know it's, it's really difficult to get in anywhere right now. So many people have adopted in the last year, which is great, but it also means that the, the field that's already kind of struggling for staff is incredibly overloaded. And so a month ago, one of my dogs, uh, my newest adoptee, Knightley adopted him in February. He's a little Papiwawa, so Papi on Chihuahua mix, um, got a concussion, ended up having some eye issues. So we were going to go, Green Bay was full. They weren't taking anybody. We were going to go to Fox Valley. They had 23 ICU patients and a nine hour wait. And so we ended up driving to Waukesha in the middle of the night on Labor Day weekend. And that's, if that's, you know, a lot going on with, with sort of the care, but, um, I've tried to look for opportunities to thank the staff. So like I'll take in, you know, cookies or donuts every once in a while to, to the vets. Um, it's a really hard profession on, you know, in normal times and kind of the volume, especially for more of the high maintenance clients like I was. Um, I think that's, it's been an opportunity to at least show a little bit of gratitude and kindness of, I understand how difficult their job is and I can be one less person to hopefully stress them out and, um, at least give them consolation sugar or a card. 
So you can fix a lot of problems with cupcakes and cookies. Right. So throw out another um, kind of shout out to the book. It's called Heart Dog, Surviving the Loss of Your Canine Soulmate. Tell people what, what they might learn from this book. I think it, it starts out with just sort of, hey, your grief is normal. Here's what's happened. Here's what the early days kind of feel like. Here's how to move forward. But, and there's a chapter, um, this is when grief gets worse, not better. And because I think a lot of times, you know, you deal with every animal and every person differently. And I had kind of compared the grief um, from one pet to a previous pet wondering, why is it so much harder this time? And that's where I think this book really stepped in. It's not that you don't love all your dogs, but heart dog speaks to just the really strong connection you have with some animals and for whatever reason, you know, I think with Mac, um, I fell in love with him the day we met. You look at the, he's at the shelter that I volunteered at and you look at the pictures from our first walk together and you'd never know that we just met. And so I think this book particularly spoke to that relationship. Um, again, I love all my dogs, but we had a different kind of connection. And one of the quotes that I wanted to share that is in the kind of the last part, it's called a chapter is forever changed. That faced head on, grief brings depth and understanding and it transforms us. And that is what I think was the really powerful part with this book towards the end is how you move forward, whether that's a memorial or what that change looks like and understanding that. And I think um, just knowing what you can do and there's a lot of resources in it too. And for this, you know, for the recent grief, I just, I needed more practical stuff, but I'm very much a fixer and, and ever the academic who will read my way out of a, um, out of a problem and, you know, trying to understand it as a way to make it better. And so I think this book and just the, the vulnerability that Roxanne Hahn shares, I think really speaks to a lot of people that you're not alone with this kind of grief and it's okay. People, you know, I was fortunate. My family was incredibly supportive. Colleagues were very supportive. Not everyone has that kind of system. And so I think this can really be, uh, be beneficial to people who, you know, maybe don't feel they have someone who understands what they're going through or that they should be done with grieving by a certain uh, timetable. And, you know, we know whether it's human grief, dog grief, cat grief, whatever, there's no timetable for it. And you kind of deal with it in your own way and, you know, in your own time. And um, in my case with, you know, I've lost two grandmothers in recent years, multiple pets. So basically I've had at least one pet loss every year for the last four or five years. And, and that's really going to compound itself. And every, every grief of whatever kind, especially in a pandemic, when we probably all know someone who has, has passed or been affected at this point, um, it's okay to be upset about a pet. You know, it doesn't mean you, you are any less upset about the humans in your life but that there's different ways to deal with your emotions and, um, and to, and to heal over time, kind of on your own, on your own pace. Outstanding list. Thank you. So I will admit this is not where I was expecting this, uh, this episode to go, but I'm glad we talked about it. Um, that was really great. Um, let's see the, who's the author of the book again. Sorry. It, Roxanne Hahn. That's right. And it is called Heart Dog. Oh, wonderful. Um, if you want to check that out, uh, we can post the Amazon link along with the episode. Um, we can also, um, don't forget about the All Rise series that Liz has, uh, has helped or, or organized, um, bringing in speakers from all over the globe to talk about um, stuff related to law. So um, you can find that uh, at causeeffect.org. You can also learn more about Liz at uh, her website at uwgb.edu. 
Um, let's see, I am at Anger Professor in all the different social media places and you can follow, follow the college at UWGBCAHSS. That's UWGB Cause, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Cannonball is a production of Phoenix Studios at the University of Wisconsin, Green Bay. The executive producer is Ryan Martin and the production manager is Kate Farley. Our audio production coordinator is Bill Salek. Our graphic designer is Kimberly Bleese and our music was created by our very own Chuck Ryback. Special thanks also to our guests, Dr. Liz Wheat. If you haven't already, please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. You can also head over to our website, uwgb.edu slash podcast to check out past episodes of this and all our shows. I'm your host, Ryan Martin, and I'm here with my co-host, Chuck Ryback. Thanks for listening.